This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. Ram, I'm um, I'm disappointed in myself. I oh, know. Uh, last week, last Sunday, I let your remarkable athletic exploits go unremarked upon. <laughs> and our listeners know full well that Sunday mornings are your time to shine athletically, that, that mm-hmm. a career spent honing the, the specimen that is Andrew Page uh, to, to achieve feats of wa- athletic wonder, to, to climb virtual and, and, and actual mountains, to, <laughs> you know, uh, just demonstrate the wonder that is the human body. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that I, well, I didn't do that. Well, we'll let you off with a warning, but, you know, it, it, it is a finely tuned machine. I like to keep it in, in great shape and I, I need, my ego needs that regular acknowledgement of that. So, yeah, as yeah. I say, off with a warning this week, but... All right, appreciate that. Uh, you've just come back from uh, from the, the, the cycle from Sydney to Wollongong, haven't you? Uh, uh, yeah, let's go with that. Okay. Uh, you've, had, you've, had the, you've had the ice bath. You've, you've, yes, you've had I've the rub down. The ice you're, bath. you're ready to go. Uh, man, everyone, I have, I have had that mentioned to me so many times lately. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I, athletes do the ice bath thing. It is bloody cold. Athletes and, and Silicon Valley VCs, apparently. Uh, it's a <gasps> whole... Yeah, it's a whole dopamine kind of thing. I think right. apparently there's a bit of science sort of behind is, is, it. Is the emphasis on the dope bit of the dopamine, or am I just <laughs> well? In fact, if you if you're doing your ice baths properly, you don't proper properly. You don't need any of the other stuff. Is, oh. is what I mean. I, you dope know? is in a knucklehead, not as in the. Oh, in like, the I thought you were using some slang there. I'm like, <laughs> You're this cool. is really dope. You're That's cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah, dope, right, dope okay. is dope in a lot of different ways, isn't it? It's remarkable. It is. It is. What it you can is. do with it. Yep. Should we move on? Let's. What's straw man? Uh, private online investment club. Beautiful. Here's a question from Alex, <laughs> who starts with, hi, Scott and Ram. My name is Alex. Feel free to use my name. I did. Thank you, Alex. I've been listening to you on the pod machine for about two years now, and I believe you both have a unique way to see both sides of the coin, so to speak. When someone says unique, do they mean good or they just mean quirky and unusual, but they don't can't think of a better way to say it? It's a bit like special, isn't it? No, like, it's very much like you, special. You can take that in different ways. <laughs> yes. I li- like the word fine when uttered by uh, by certain people. Yes, exactly. Is yes. that okay? That's fine. Oh, my As in okay, fine, or is it in bad? It's fine. I said it's fine. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I can't. I, don't, I have nothing to do with that. Between you and I and all our listeners, that, that is yeah. a, a personal bugbear of mine when it comes to my kids. It's like, oh, can I make mm. you something? I was like, yeah, fine. I was like, no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowing me to do this. As a, you know, you're not doing a favor. I'm doing a favor for you, and I'm happy to do it. But maybe a yes, please, and not a fine would. Anyway, that's my problem. Feel better? Yeah, I do. Alex goes on. I'm 33 years of age. Sorry, Scott. Yes, Alex, I hate you. And have a question about my super, in particular, compounding returns. I've recently changed from rest super to a wrap account through a financial advisor. Pregnant. Pause there, uncomfortably. I had a choice of managed portfolios to choose from and ended up choosing choosing to divvy it up into three managed portfolios and one ETF, which is the IVV or the S&P 500 ETF, for more international exposure. I'm sitting at 94% growth and 6% defensive. I know you can't give personal advice. However, I'm wondering if by having divided up between the three managed portfolios and one ETF, 
whether I'm losing out on the compounding effect. Currently, two portfolios are performing below average. One is above and the ETF is also above. Thanks in advance and full on, Alex. Hmm. It's an interesting question. I don't know precisely what he means about missing out on compounding um, unless he's imagining that maybe there'll be times where you'll sell some of those managed funds by other managed funds and maybe you have to pay tax on the proceeds or or not kind of stay with it long enough to make it worthwhile. I think that's my best guess as to the question being asked. Um, um, unless extent, there's an income no. growth delineation between yeah, different maybe buckets. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's right too. Um, but again, if it's in super, it should be reinvested to some degree. Right, Alex, right. It's, it's hard to know specifically, mate, the answer to your question. I... <laughs> let me let me um, let me delicately skewer our financial advisor listeners without really making them turn off right now. Uh, when you move from a industry super fund to a wrap account through a financial advisor, I'm going to assume Alex that's costing you money that you otherwise mightn't need to pay, and that's both a slight at financial advisors and, by the way, people like me who uh, give investment advice and tell you what stocks to buy for a fee. So I'm not, uh, I mean, I'm on my glass house and I'm willingly throwing stones at all the different windows right now. Uh, whether you're giving up the opportunity for compounding, not really, mate. The only issue might be the tax you have to pay by moving between strategies too frequently. Um, and if you're to sell an ETF, if you hold an ETF for 40 years and never sell it, and then at some point, hopefully it's big enough that the income stream pays you and then you never sell that because the income stream is big enough and eventually you give it to your kids, that would be the ultimate way to avoid compounding. Um, that being said, if you can earn more in the meantime, and Ram and I have talked about this before, um, do you go for growth and change the dividend income later? Do you mm. maximize the returns on growth? You pay the tax and still end up with more because at retirement, you have more to then switch into dividend paying shares or do you, or frankly never do, maybe just sell down portions to fund your income mm. uh, or do you go for that that nice income? Um, you're not losing out on compounding for the sake of it, mate, unless those uh, those funds, including the ETF, underperform an index after tax. That's the only distinction you got. It's in super, so it's going to stay there anyway. And in theory, any cash you generate by collecting dividends or selling any ETFs go back into the super fund and therefore, in theory, are reinvested. And so in theory, again, continue to grow. Um, so I, I I would assume that's that's likely. To Ram's point, if some of those managed funds are income-based funds, then maybe you are. But again, there's nothing to say income funds will underperform growth funds. If the, if the, if the cash generation is big enough and there's some capital growth, you still do it either way. There's nothing to say that you will do better with income-paying stocks than, or, or, or growth stocks than the other. They can both do very, very nicely depending on what you're what you're seeing there. Um, so I don't know how to answer specifically other than to say I would be really careful. I love our financial advisor listeners, but I think financial advisors' best role to play, maybe they won't appreciate this, maybe they will, for their clients is to actually be financial coaches. Uh, I don't know that you... I don't know that you're going to get better returns over time. In fact, we know that most managed funds lose to the market. So whether you're going to pay for the fee for a wrap account and then pay the fee that a the funds themselves will charge relative to just going to a financial advisor and saying, mate, I'll come and see you once a year for an advice, a bit of coaching, a bit of, you know, um, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking or, you know, just, just pep talk, whatever you need. Hey, dude, keep going, do this. How's your, how's your investing going? Are you still compounding? You're still adding, uh, you're resisting the urge to sell. How's your, how you cope with market volatility? That's, I think, the, the role of a, of a good financial planner. Um, if the financial planner is bringing you advice 
and those funds are consistently beating the market, then there's no reason they can't do that. I mean, Buffett manages to to beat the market. I've managed to beat the market thus far, touch wood. Um, you know, I've added some value, hopefully, for our members. That's worth paying for if, if the value added exceeds the cost. So I'm not anti-wrap accounts or anti-anything else. I do wonder about the structures that are kind of put in place and end up just being fee machines for different parties, including the financial advisor, but also the fund manager and the wrap provider, everything else. So I would ask the financial advisor why they think these funds are going to do better than an ETF. Um, yeah, they may have a good answer. They may even be right. Just yeah, ask that question. And if you're paying fees, make sure the fees you're paying are earning you higher performance than you'd get otherwise. I, honestly, I reckon that's your biggest risk to your compounding over time, right? We know that the value of fees over a lifetime, uh, I want to say, mate, and this sounds too low to be right, but I'm pretty sure I remember that some depending the, the fee differences in super can add up to something like 40% of your final balance. Yeah, it's massive. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if that's entirely right. I'm pretty sure it is, but it may not be. I haven't got the numbers in front of me. If it's not that number, it's, it's a high number. Harvard, ha- ha- you're still going to, yeah, it's yeah. still, still huge. Uh, so yeah, I would just I would just make sure that your financial planner's recommendations are likely to uh, earn you more in excess returns than you're giving up in fees. Any general thoughts on that, mate? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to generalise here and I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat <laughs> it as much as you have. Uh, get a new financial advisor. I mean, you're That's 33 fair. for goodness sakes, right? Like <laughs> one broad-based Australian ETF, one international, job done, go home, contribute regularly. Why you – I mean, if you do have any income-managed funds in there, why? 33 years old, you'll be investing for the next three decades. Like I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. That, that makes uh, a, z- a zero sense. You said, oh, if there are fees, there are f- I'm going to go out on a limb. There's 100% fees here, right? 100% there are fees here. Uh, I, you know, and, and it's just what, what a like, – this same with real estate agents, same with mugs in our game, same with any yeah. kind of middleman. I'm really yep. – I'm going to – wrong run up here, man. I'm going to – look, <laughs> it, whenever there's I'm a good – that sense. Whenever there's a good grift, right, mm-hmm. you want to mm-hmm. use – Lots of faux complexity, lots of jargon. So we've got these mm-hmm. wraps accounts. We've got some we've got a bucket over here. It's going to look after your income component. We're going to do this here. We're going to do – and it sounds brilliant. And yeah. it's all designed to make you feel as though you precious little thing, You this is beyond you. You need someone like me mm-hmm. in a suit, in a glass tower to manage it all for you and tell you what to do. And I will take a very small nominal percentage fee as a Mm -hmm. consequence of that. In dollar terms, it's outrageously massive over a lifetime. And to your point, yeah, fair enough if you can pay those fees and after fees still beat the the, uh, market. But again- that isn't. It's not impossible, but statistically, historically, that is definitely that's that is that Unlikely. is not the most common outcome, right? Yeah. Yep. And 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 if every listener did that statistically, four fifths of you will end up with worse returns than if you invested in it. It's just it's just how it is. Now maybe yep. maybe maybe that's why, as you said, we'll rationalize this for me as to why you're so confident that this is this is going to be the case. Yep. I doubt there's going to be a good answer here. I, I tend to think anyway. It's look. <laughs> Keep it simple, right? As I said, yep. basket of Aussie shares, basket of international shares, go on. If at the end of days you look back um, in your nursing home and go, oh, gosh, could have, would have, should have, of all the things you will regret as an older man, <laughs> it won't be this decision to pick two or th- maybe three, maybe four at an outside you know, ETFs and focus on your income generation, which is going to move the needle far more than, than, than anything else. Less complexity, less is more 
and certainly um, less fees is is much more. <laughs> so I mean, I, I don't I don't I don't hesitate in saying that because I know uh, yeah. several um, financial planners. The good ones will say the same thing, right? Mm. They will say the same thing, and the, any financial planner will tell you that most of the mugs that work in our industry are grifters, just as you and I will say that most of the people who work in advisory and equities are grifters as well. They are, and I have no hesitation in in saying that because I think the facts soundly speak for themselves. So if you're the kind of person who is uh, working in the industry and offended by that, um, maybe that says more than anything else. There you go, mate. We've, I've, oh, dear. I've uh, I've put us Good. on on a hit list of of an entire industry group and body there. So uh, let the chips as fall where they may. As I semi regularly say, that's page P A G E. No, mate, you're 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 absolutely not wrong. And I, yeah, the reason I the reason I, I think the the value adding planner in our industry is going to be the exception rather than the rule. Yep, I, I think it's worth saying there are. There are good planners out there who will be the exceptions, and also that Definitely. there is a role for financial advisors. I've said many times, mate. Definitely, I, we sell our newsletter based on on results and and expectations of market beating performance. Mm-hmm. I hope, and I'm sure 99 percent of people buy it for that reason. I hope desperately that, well, frankly, this podcast, but even for the paid members, I hope at least half the value I I bring is helping them be better investors, not just mm-hmm. pick stocks, right? Because the value is there, is hanging around, seeing it through. I, I vividly remember some bloke. Uh, I talked about the Amazon returns for for you know twenty five years, whatever it was, and yes, I own shares. And uh, someone said, yeah, I know. It was, I mean, they might have been Vanguard, I think. Hmm. And and the response was, yeah, well, who would have stayed there for thirty years then? And it kind of like on one hand, he's not wrong. There will be a lot of people who see that and go, "I couldn't have done that," and that's fine. Mm-hmm. The point is, I'm saying, do that. That that's that's literally the point. When I say invest for 30 years, here's the result. Someone says, "Well, who would have done that?" I'm like, lots of people don't. That's that's precisely the point. So yes. you know, I think there is a lot of value in financial coaching for those who need the help, the shoulder to cry on, the steady hand, or whatever else. Yeah. Uh, I have a family member who rings me every three or four months and says, "I'm getting a bit worried. What's going on? What should I do?" And I say. The same thing I've told you before, and they go, "Yeah, okay, fair enough." And that's mm-hmm. that's good enough for three months, right? It just, it just it just gets them through. And what would happen without it? I don't know. They might be fine, or they might not. Mm-hmm. So I, I I make that point because I think I do want to I do want to be at least a little bit balanced in terms of the potential and the opportunities. But you're absolutely right by sheer weight of numbers. If you sacked three quarters of financial planners, the right three quarters of financial planners, the world would be a better place. And then we can put them on an island and we can ship all the real estate agents over there. (laughs) And and we will enter a golden age uh, unlike the world has ever seen before. You mentioned last week uh, about being paid a Joe Rogan-esque type money to do a Joe Rogan-esque type podcast. <laughs> I, I occasionally do have a wake up in the middle of the night wondering whether we will end up in that place anyway and not get paid for it. I, I'm not sure. I'm just saying that uh, it's, it's possible. Uh, hey, uh, let, let's let's go to another question, mate, while we're, we're on a roll. Oh, uh, sorry, one, sorry. I, I, sorry, oh, sorry. I, I, one more. I wrote this down. Yeah. I, forgot, I forgot to get to it as well. One of the Please. terms that you threw out there was um, defensive. Yes. I, and I, yeah. God damn it. <laughs> I hate it. I hate that term with all my, every fiber of my being. What it is designed to do is to instill a false sense of security in you. And what right thinking person would say, I, you know, I don't want different. Yeah, I want. I don't want to just roll the dice on this and go for the moonshot, right? Mm. Defensive mm. sounds smart. Defensive <laughs> is dumb. Defensive is brilliant when you're 75. Defensive is dumb when you're 33. It is 
really dumb, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not having a go at you here, Alex. I'm having a go very specifically at the quote-unquote expert who has, has put you into, into that. It, <laughs> it is another example of a term, a word that is used as a marketing tool. Just yeah. as like when I had my very first job, uh, proper job, and they sent you, you know, got super all set up and they sent you a thing. What, you had to tick all these boxes. I think the top one was aggressive and the bottom, you know, and then it was balanced. Balanced, yeah. And there's really? growth, high growth, conservative, defensive, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not choosing aggressive. I'm not I'm not reckless. Like, I mean, and yet all aggressive means is more of an equity uh, uh balance. And there's and balance always- sounds like it should be balanced. Who, who doesn't want to be balanced? Balance well, is balanced. Well, of course I, I'm gonna hi, be balanced. Hi, I'm Scott, I'm imbalanced. Yeah. I'm unbalanced. Like really oh, for that, that sounds bad. Sakes. It makes yeah. it sound like you you've got one choice between some crypto con and <laughs> I don't know, a lump of gold. There's a yeah. very big yeah. spectrum yeah. there. Yeah. And and I mean, it's just I feel as though I'm able to sort of make certain summations and uh, assumptions, given what the financial planner has put you. You've used word income, defense. You're a 33 year old man, for goodness sakes. It is. It should be 100 percent equities. <laughs> Sorry, that's what it should be. And if you've got any cash in there whatsoever, then this 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 guy needs to be drawn and quartered. It, it is outrageous. Anyway, rant over. Best part of this podcast, I get to be seem like the more balanced, considerate one, which is always <laughs> lovely. Uh, I, I'm, you know, we got a question the other week about, you know, I should rant more. What I think listeners realize is I rant as much as I always do. Just you rant much more than much more effectively than me. That it seems like I'm the I'm the more sober kind of thoughtful one, which frankly is good for me and good for my ego, good for my brand. I'm like, oh, I'm kidding. Uh, brand, but uh, yeah. good for the brand. Um, no, I think you're right. I, I will again one just just say again in the interests of. Um, not even balance. balance. Just, just, no, no, no. Just, just, just adding to the conversation. Defensiveness. I, I would, yeah. I one hundred percent agree with you. Theoretically, I, I still think the behavioural bit of some people just need less volatility, and so for them, you're right about the terms. The marketing terms are ridiculous. Mm. Mm. It would be a case of the question should be, hey, it, what, what is the maximum volatility you could you could deal with in a given year? Yep. yep. And, and there should be a there should be a lower volatility, higher volatility, and it should say higher volatility, likely higher. Returns, yes. Lower volatility, low, likely lower returns. Which one do you want? Yes. And then that would at least be in, informative, and it would be instructive, and it would be a rational base for someone to choose. And they could absolutely—I have no problem, mate, with someone who chooses more quotes defensive stocks or defensive portfolio allocations. If it's like I've said before, my mum lost money mm. in super. Oh God, twenty years, 30, 25 years ago now, mm. and one year she's like, "This went down. That's not supposed to go down. Like, is this super bad?" And it was, you know, it was beautiful in its naivety. And it was just that idea of super supposed to go up and why would I invest if it goes down? Mm. And mum just wasn't cut out to make those. It was one of those, funnily enough, it was a super wrap. It was rolled into something when dad died. And, mm. and she kind of like, it was one of those, well, hang on, it went down and it, it's dad's money and I, I was le- you know, left to me and as in mum. And it goes down. So I feel like I don't know what I'm doing and I feel bad that it's now lost value and maybe I've made the wrong decision. There are people for whom... And this is not a, this is not a condescending comment. It's just not appropriate for them to be taking those risks when they can't handle them or don't understand them. Now, mm. a good financial planner, by the way, would actually perform that function, and we got her out of that financial planner who was absolutely screwing her for thousands and thousands of dollars, um, which was speaking of unconscionable. Surprising. Um, yeah, but um, I, I only say that because there are listeners who will say. I hear your 100% shares. I just can't do that. And I don't want them to feel like they have to make that choice. Mm. Your point is if you're 33 and you want to maximize your returns when now in retirement and hopefully in retirement, 100% shares is most likely to give you the best possible result. Yeah. I just I just want to, just for anyone listening who's like, 
oh, I hear that, but I don't feel like I should. But I guess if Andrew says I should, then I should. Not that, again, not that they're taking this personal advice, but yeah. I don't want anyone to kind of do that and wish in six months' time when the market's down 15% that they hadn't they hadn't done it. So there's there's room for lower volatility investments as long as it's that not defensive that somehow has no trade-off in terms of long-term returns. Yeah, no, well put, well put. Hey, um, let's move on to that question uh, from Luke. Uh, Luke says, hi, Scott and Andrew Ram Page. I'm loving that he's getting into that. <laughs> Thank you very much for putting out two episodes every week from the Motley Fool Money podcast. Thank you, mate. I started investing in 2020 just after the COVID crash, and I'm really struggling with a question I would love you to discuss. And hopefully some other listeners in the same boat will get something out of it. Now, this is a, a very specific one about a particular investment person and and, uh, and role. Actually, we like Peter Thornhill, but um, I say that only because it's described by Luke. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Ram, but if you're not, I don't want to necessarily discuss as Peter Thornhill's strategy. We'll discuss what, what Luke represents it as. Not that he's wrong, just that uh, when oh, yeah. someone says, oh, so-and-so says this, what do you think about that? It's like, well, if they did say this, then that's okay, but I don't really understand the full version of the, of the story. So with that disclaimer out of the way, he says, Peter Thornhill's strategy of buying fully franked income-generating stocks mm-hmm. and debt recycling them through your home loan Seems like a double win, as you would be accumulating shares at the same time as claiming a tax deduction. Whilst a large majority of the Australian population seem to have no problem negatively gearing residential investment properties, some people run the other way when you say you're thinking of using some of the equity in your home to borrow to invest in a diversified asset, such as an LIC or an ASX ETF. I'm a 30-year-old bloke, bastard, says Luke, who has a non-income earning spouse who looks after our two beautiful preschool children. We put away 200 bucks a fortnight on top of our mortgage repayment, of which the interest rate is 5.74%, as well as 200 bucks per fortnight into shares. We buy and hold the Vanguard Australian Shares Index ETF, Argo Investments, Solpats, and the iShares S&P ETF in my wife's name. When we have windfalls, we put a bit extra into both here and there. I can't help but think the money we put in each fortnight into shares in my non-income earning wife's name would provide better after-tax returns and borrowing to invest and debt recycling via our home loan in my name. He says, I work a lot of overtime as an intensive care paramedic and am in the top tax bracket. This is under the assumption the asset bought would be something such as the Vanguard ETF. Is it being too clever by half? Investing in my name via the debt recycling strategy as opposed to simply buying the shares in my wife's name? Is negatively gearing shares the wrong thing to do anyway in this current climate? Would love your general thoughts on the topic as I know you can't provide personal advice. Thanks as always for your insights and conversations about investing and life. I love the podcast and look forward to listening to each episode every week. Kind regards, Luke. Luke, that's very kind, mate. Thank you very much and thank you for asking the question. It gets into tax um, planning pretty deeply here and I've got to say, mate, we're probably not the best people to ask um, because debt recycling, tax advantages, tax in someone's name, that's that's going to be something that probably is worth you speaking to an accountant about just to get some specific advice for your circumstances. We can talk talk, talk generally, obviously, um, but the, the deeper it gets, and I don't, I haven't followed Peter Thorne on this particular strategy, Ram. I don't know if you have, um, no. but I, it, it's a it's a difficult one. I. I'm always a fan of paying, you know, uh, tax, but also not paying more tax than you have to, because you mm-hmm. know, no one else is, and that's fine. Um, I don't donate money to the ATO. I could if I chose to, but I don't. So, you know, I think that's a, a reasonable question, a reasonable approach to ask. A couple of general thoughts for me, and then I'll let you jump in around. Please. Um, first thing I'd say is circumstances change. Now, you're a 30 year old bloke. Your wife's probably similar age ish, I would assume. You're two preschool kids. Uh, you guys might decide at some point for your wife to go back to work. 
And so when you think about tax brackets, think not just about the current tax bracket, but the long-term probability of, of where the tax is paid. If, for example, your wife was to return to work or go to work, she doesn't have to, and you could take time off and she could work. It could be anything you want to do. But you know, over, over the life of the earning, owning those assets, in theory, this is a lifelong investment, she's probably not going to be paying no tax for the rest of your lives. Uh, at some point, you might stop working, she might stop working, you both might work, you both not, might not work. There is a bit of that kind of planning, which is in the word, uh, which is unknowable, right? And it's just that idea of, What's she going to do in three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years? Now, it's not to say don't do it. Just just be mindful that those circumstances could change. You're already on the top, top tax bracket. I assume you'll probably stay there if your earning power stays the same. So there's probably no likelihood that you won't end up earning less. She's probably always going to be earning less or the same as you. In other words, she's probably not going to be at a higher tax bracket than you are almost by definition if you're on the top one. Uh, so there is some, some value probably in thinking about uh, the likelihood that she will probably be paying the same or less tax on you for the rest of your working lives. And that's probably then uh, you know, a smart approach in that, in that direction, in that sense. Um, I'm pretty allergic to debt uh, for investing. Um, I particularly right now, I, 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 I mean, even 5.74%, you say maybe rates stay this high, maybe they go higher, maybe they come down. Um, if I could earn a 5.75% after tax return, i.e. the mortgage, would I borrow at that rate to buy shares on the off chance I might beat it after tax? I don't think so, personally. Mm. Um, is it too clever by half? Uh, so here's the honest answer, Luke. If I thought it was doable, I'd do it myself, <laughs> and I haven't. Um, which is not to say it, I'm not, maybe I'm just stupid. Um, but sometimes when people ask you for advice or ask me for advice, sometimes they just say, well, look, I'm doing this or I'm not doing that. And it doesn't mean you should or shouldn't, but for what it's worth, that's what I've already decided to do. And that might tell you something about my views on it. By the way, both directions. My views, i.e. I don't think it's worth doing. The other is I'm not, probably not going to give you a completely unbiased view because I'm not doing it. So mm. I, I've decided for my own purposes it's not right. I might be entirely wrong in that in that view. Mm. Um, a, a complex-ish kind of question, Ram. Any, any thoughts? Let's pretend as a hypothetical that I don't know what <laughs> debt recycling means. Okay. Uh, you know, hypothetically. How, yes. would you, how would you explain that to me? My best guess is <laughs> that money. I'll admit I've got no clue what that means. My my best guess is rather than paying off the mortgage, you draw down the mortgage and you put that money into shares instead. I think it's, okay. I think it's straight out. I think it's just buying against the house to buy shares. Is my oh, best okay. Guess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I don't know whether the strategy entails using the dividend income to pay off the mortgage or buy more shares. I, I just I don't know what Peter's. And again, I, I, as I, I don't, I'm sure Luke's absolutely right. Absolutely right. I just once you mentioned someone's name, I'm not sure whether we're representing that person's particular strategy gotcha. accurately. So I'm okay. always mindful of just being a little bit careful of, I don't, you know, someone's debt recycling strategy would be different to someone else's. Okay. Is it doable? Sure. Is it smart? Probably. I don't do it as I said. I, maybe it's costing me money. Um, I kind of like having mortgage lower rather than higher, and I kind of like the idea of um, of not being on the hook for you know <laughs> um, for larger amounts of debt for a couple of percentage points of gain, particularly rates at this level. Mm. Um, I've said before, if I could borrow a million dollars at a super low ta- uh, interest rate with no margin call for, to buy shares for the rest of my life, I'd do oh, it now. Oh, heartbeat, yeah. But, but I wouldn't, I don't, if I, had a, if I had a no margin call promise and I could borrow at 5.74% to buy shares, I don't think I'd do it. Mm. Um, particularly borrowing against the house because after tax, I'd have to earn meaningfully more than that. Was it eight and a half something percent? Uh, am I mm. hoping to get that? Yeah. Am I sure I'm going to get that? No. Mm. Um, do I want to take that risk 
and and risk my principal place of residence with higher amounts of debt for the off chance I might earn an extra percentage point of gains? No. Mm. Does that make me, you know, lazy and stupid and not harnessing the full value of tax planning strategies? Probably. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think a good. It's always good to sort of do, you know, do a um, a multi scenario analysis. Um, in other words, just sort of like test a bunch of assumptions. If it comes down to if it's a line call, I'm definitely going to go with you, mate, and just sort of say, what's the, what's the point? Yeah, it could be better. Um, is yeah. it going to be like three times as good? Well, hell yeah. I mean, what's you know, I, I, I yeah, love I that. Like, yeah, exactly. You know? right. If you give me a 20% return, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy oh. to mortgage the house to the hilt and then, you know, Done. sell my kid, you know. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Done. But yeah. if, it's a, if, it's a, if, it's, if it's marginal, it's, yeah. you know – um, and I don't know the specifics of the strategy. And Peter Thorne yeah. is a good guy. I've got his book. Yeah, I, really, I, really, I really, I remember seeing him live speak year, probably yeah. twenty years ago or something. And yeah. he just he yeah. really sort of opened my eyes. And it's it's actually my go to book for when people say why shares. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, well, here's why. Um, yes. Even though it's not the strategy I employ, I think he makes a very good sort of case for it. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to assume mm-hmm. that he and he seems like a pretty conservative, prudent guy. So I, I don't yeah. want to say anything negative about about the strategy given I don't yep. clearly yep. understand you know what it, what it, what 100%. is what it is involved so I'll, I'll say with all of that yep. I do think that um there is something to be said for paying the house down mm-hmm. it's if what it does provide is um a massive buffer and margin of safety right mm-hmm. so that's that's always nice but it also yeah. gives you optionality you know, mm-hmm. so if you turn out that your years go, you know what, I'm just going to focus everything on reducing the loan here. And as you rightly said, it's not an easy thought, but you are, you're a guaranteed return in interest saved. Yeah. And it's yes, close enough exactly. to 6%. Exactly. exactly. It's a guaranteed. Yep. Now, look around the world for guaranteed returns, 6%. <laughs> you know, but uh, actual guaranteed returns, not, not promised guaranteed returns. Not promised. Shots. Yes, not yes, promised. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a pretty good deal. But let's say that. Yeah. You pursue that for 10 or 15 years and you wake up one day and there's just a ton of equity in your house. Like, mm. well, you can draw down on it then, right? My, I've said to you many times, it's like the, the, my real goal in life is just to get a house and not have a yeah. debt against it. Because when that's true, I don't need to earn much money. If I was Thanks on 50 freedom, grand baby. a year, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, I, I'm just not into sports cars and yachts and expensive things. It's sort of like, mm-hmm. so I've got a bit of rates, uh, a bit of maintenance, a bit of upkeep, um, some groceries, yep. some bills. You know, it's like yep. fifty grand a year is a is a is a very modest salary in the year twenty twenty three. Once but- you take out the need to pay regularly for a home with its rental mortgage, oh. when you consider the fact that the tax rates on that sort of income is very, very low. Oh, my God. It's, you know, Huge. Like, there are people listening who are like, 50 grand, I can't survive on that. It's like, well, okay, take out oh, your yeah. car repayment, take, yep. out your, take out your mortgage, take out your rent, yep. take out the private school fees, take out, you know, and you, you don't want to and that's fine. Yep. But the, the, what, what Ram's saying is this is this, this is the opportunity, right? So should, should you want to? I mean, the financial freedom that comes with that is extraordinary. Oh, man, so it's why our parents are living the life of Riley, right? There's uh-huh. every other boomer in the world out there. It's not because their incomes are that special necessarily. <laughs> yes, yes. It's that they, none of them have any housing debt, mm-hmm. right? Like- that is the goal. That is the goal here. And and I, I I think that it is underrated. As I've said to you before, like like the number of people that are rent vesting and yeah. doing all this stuff, it just sort of it just seems <laughs> it is, you know, historians will look back on this period and go, wow, 
Like what? <laughs> just as we look at the Easter Islanders and going, what? You destroyed everything for these giant heads? Like, well, we're destroying everything for these piles of bricks and mortar and and, <laughs> and fibro and, and, and weatherboard in many cases as well. It's, it's, it's an insanity in my personal way of thinking. And there is, there is nothing like I know that this is a finance investing podcast, right? I know that we're here for the money. Obviously we are. Uh, actually, I'm not. I'm not. I'm here for the freedom. Um, that, and I think, I think other than that, if maybe you're, you're particularly greedy and you just like big numbers and you do mm-hmm. like expensive things and that's cool, there's no judgment on that. But what I value more, this is me personally, and again, no judgment, but what I value more than anything in the world is, is control over my time. If, I've, if I can wake up on any given day and just decide what I want to do, that is, that, <laughs> yeah, is, right. that is the height of wealth and freedom yep, to 100%. me. You know, and if that means that I've got a house in regional New South Wales and I've got a mm-hmm. couple of side hustles that sort of bring us I'm happy as Larry. Am I living on the harbour? Have I got like three sports cars in the garden? No, but also I know people like that and they yeah. work like <laughs> dogs, you know, and they are miserable and yep. they look 20 years older than I do and it's just sort of like... <laughs> Really? You could be you'd be dead tomorrow. I, I, yeah. I look at I, that's just me. And and I'm not making any and I'm not saying Luke for a second is like that. Someone who's a paramedic is obviously a yeah. very socially yeah. minded person. And yeah. I yeah. think these people are just like the absolute heroes of, of our society. Um in fact, if you're ever asking who's a hero in society, it's like anyone that was labeled an essential worker during COVID. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, the world yeah. went on when the marketing execs couldn't get to work, right? Uh, but but when but when these people didn't show up oh my gosh things got real so i don't know what am i saying here it's it's like we said last week right there's no right answer here there's but there's a right answer for you so if in doing this analysis you feel that the upside is significant relative to to what you could otherwise do and you feel it doesn't you're not sailing too close to the edge and what might go wrong. And it's not about saying, oh, this will definitely blow up, and this, but, but it might, right? And if, mm-hmm. if you're comfortable with all of that and it puts you in a really good position, then by all means do it. I don't, I don't want to rain on the parade at all here. But um, there is something to be said, won't fit in a spreadsheet, but a, a life of mm-hmm. far less stress and anxiety is probably not a bad thing either. Some, um, uh, I mean, there's there's – you're right. This is not. A, this is a podcast about money. I, I, and we've had. I've had on the good oil a couple of financially independent retire early, the fire people, and I think there's there's just a lot of value in that way of thinking. And I think yep. it's going to be right for some people, not right for other people. Um, and different want different things out of life. And if you like your fast cars, knock yourselves out. I think there is so much to be said for a bit, a bit, of, a bit of. Um, uh, I'll say, I'll say therapy. I don't necessarily mean therapy, therapy. I just mean a bit of that kind of introspection. A bit of that idea of like, actually, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And how much yeah. of what I'm doing is just because that's what I think I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, living on the harbour is lovely and driving a Tesla, I'm sure, is fantastic and whatever. Oh, if I we won bought, the Powerball, don't, don't get me wrong. Right. right. We, 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 bought a, we bought a secondhand Hilux for cash. It wasn't, wasn't it was only two years old. It wasn't, um, you know, I was 15 years old. Um, and when I say for cash, I don't mean a big note myself. We just chose to save for it and not take out more debt. We could have bought a new one for 30 grand more. Mm-hmm. Um I was like, no, we'll save for the car and we'll buy the car and that's what we want to do. And for me, it was like, I own the car. I don't pay anyone every month to drive the car. Uh, is it the flashiest car in the world? No, I actually really quite like it. It does exactly mm-hmm. what I want it to do. It's I'm a pretty utilitarian kind of guy. That's exactly what I want it to do. Uh, it takes us out back and we do our holidays. Mm. That's what we chose to do. Um, and I think to your point, mate, 
when you when you stop and and this is hard for couples too, right? Because different different personalities and different approaches to money. But you ask yourself, what, what are we doing and why are we doing it? You know, to your exact point, you know, the, the it's a bit of a throwaway line, but the old thing about you know, if you win the rat, rat race, you're still a rat. Yes. Um, yeah. The, and not not a rat in a bad way. Just you, you've had you've had to play the game, so you've, yeah. you know, you're in that space now. If you want the house and the waterfront, you want to work 60 hours a week and have stress and worry about losing your job and whatever, knock yourself out. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, to your point, I, I choose not to do that. Um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty low-key guy, generally speaking, as are you. Um, you know, And I think that introspection is super useful because when you really ask yourself, there's a great Toyota um, management way of thinking called the five whys. Oh, the idea that. is you ask yourself, why does something happen? They answer, yep. well, but why is that? But why is that? But why is that? And you've, you've kind of talked about the same kind of idea before and think about investing. Mm-hmm. If you think about lifestyle, right? I need a house by the water. Why is that? Well, because I like it. Well, why is that? Well, because I, I want to be better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that tells you something about yourself. And mm-hmm. do you want to? Do you, is that really what you want, or do you think you should? You know, when you really, really genuinely interrogate your motivations, mm. you find yourself in a very different place. And as you said, mate, no judgment on anyone who wants to do it differently. But I would really encourage our listeners to have that conversation with themselves and with their partners because life's too short. Yeah, you know, it's it's just not worth. Well, maybe just for some people. For me, yeah. it's not worth the effort. I, I happen to love what I do. I'm very, very, very fortunate. Um, you've said before, you know, would, would you, would you, if someone gave you 200 grand more to go and work for Macquarie, would I do it? I would no. not do it. No, no. Um, and plenty of people would, and that, you know, and I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't need to take that money to live my life. But there's plenty of people doing it tough right now. I was saying, just I'd, I'd kill for an extra 10 grand so I could pay the bills, and I get that right. Sure. I, I know I'm very privileged and and very fortunate, but. Just kind of keeping your expectations in check. I hope I'm doing this job in 20 years' time, but I hope the last 15 years of it because I love it, not because I have to. Yeah. You know, we do this podcast. I mean, I do it in work time, but, you know, we don't get paid extra to do it. It's it's, it's fun. We do it because it's interesting. We hope we help people and mm. we enjoy it. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to keep doing that because it's just fun and interesting. Um, but I'd like to do it because I like it, not because I feel like I have to get a paycheck to, you know, to, to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah, I'll just reference one more thing. I know I've mentioned this several times and I will again in the future. I mean, science has got a lot to say on this front and uh, surprise, surprise, evidence-based, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of approaches are usually the way to go. Um, uh, who'd have thought? Who'd have thought it? Um, but but when, they, when they ask people towards the end of their life, their regrets, the, you know, yep. it is no one, like, you know, a rounding error of people will say, Geez, I wish I spent another ten hours a week in the office. I wish <laughs> I had right. that fifth investment. Wish I finished that report. <laughs> Zero people say that. Everyone yeah. says family, friend. It's it, we are a social yeah. monkey. You know that is that is really important. Doesn't mean like we often joke you and me. We don't have a a large circle of friends, but we've got a tight circle of friends. And I think and that that, that tends to be what matters. You know, and so. Could I potentially earn more money? Yeah. What does that mean? I never get to see my kids grow up. No, hard pass. Hard pass for me because I know what I'm going to regret. And is it you you've mentioned before, I think, is it Bezos who uses the regret minimization framework? Yes. Which is another way. When you're making a decision, particularly big life decisions, is ask, base it on which one will cause me the least regret in the future. Mm -hmm. And I can almost guarantee you that whether you got the higher model car or the mm-hmm. extra Christmas bar, I mean, they're lovely things. I don't want to, I mean, I'm pretend that I'm a monk that has no <laughs> desire for earthly pleasures. Of course I do, right? Mm-hmm. But but there's also, I'm very cognizant of those other things. And I, we've hammered the point ridiculously at this stage, but there it is. I, I would think about that. It's important. I uh, hope that helps, Luke. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to go over the old ground other than to say that money is a means to an end, not, not the end in itself. Yeah, it's a um, tool. 
That's what that, you're right, and that's what we're doing it for. So you know, this podcast to help people, you know, have have more tools to use. And if you want to go and maximize them, knock yourself out. Um, Buffett famously was going to give his money away at the end of his life because he wanted to have the biggest pile possible to give away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was convinced by Bill Gates, geez, must be 15, 20 years ago now, yeah. that actually he could do more good by giving small amounts of it away regularly. Still compounding, by the way, still still very, very rich, but just, just choosing to do things differently. I think there's, there's something in that as well. 100%. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, mate, this one comes from Anonymous, which is interesting, who says, he or she says, hello to, quote, Scott, the optimistic fool employee, end quote, and Ram, quote, the pessimistic billionaire employer of straw people. (laughs) (laughs) If that's not on your business card by the end of this week, Ram, you're you're doing something wrong. If I had a business card, maybe. (laughs) Pessimistic billionaire employer of straw people. That's that's got a ring to it. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time questioner, says Anonymous correspondent, who starts with first question, what is straw man? Uh, online private investment club. There you go. I should have thought to ask that. You did. I'm just disappointed. Uh, second question. In the past, I considered myself an individual of fair intelligence. In recent times, my inability to understand franking credits has left me with one conclusion. I am just as dumb as any other hairless ape on the planet. <laughs> could, you, could you please explain franking credits to me like I'm a six-year-old? There is a last question too, which I will hold for now, Ram. Um, do you want to have a go at franking credits? Yeah, I'll give it a go. Go for it. I mean, I'm not going to do maths um, here, but it's, <laughs> all, not it, a great location. all it does is prevent double taxation. So mm-hmm. a company has earned money, it's paid corporate tax, and then it chooses, it may choose to distribute some of that after tax or after corporate tax profit to the owners of the business, i.e. the shareholders. Mm-hmm. And the tax man says, well, tax is already, we've already had our bite of the cherry. Um, so the only tax you have to pay is if, you're, uh, if your personal rate of tax is above mm-hmm. the company rate of tax. If it's at the rate of tax, same rate of tax, then you pay nothing. And if it's yep. less, you actually get a refund. That's it. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. I have written an article called, I can't remember now, um, Why Bill Shorten is Wrong and Right on Franking Credits. Oh, yeah. Long yep. long title. Very old. It was back to the Franking Credit election. Um if you want to, there's a bit of a work example in there if that's useful for you. So have a look at that if it makes sense. I'm going to use numbers very quickly, Ram, for anonymous correspondent, just because I think it, hopefully I'll try and keep them simple and I will actually absolutely make up some numbers. Um, but I just want to, and it, and it makes it sound a little bit worse, but I need the rounding to make it easier to understand. Mm-hmm. Let's say a company earns 100 bucks in profit before tax. They're obliged to pay 30% corporate tax, right? So they make the 100 bucks, they pay their 30 bucks, left with 70. I'm going to keep it really round here, mate. Mm -hmm. They take that 70 bucks and say to the shareholders, here you go, you guys. We don't need the money. It's all yours. Uh, Andrew is a shareholder of that company. He happens to be on a 50% tax rate. Again, there is no 50% tax rate. It just makes my life easier. Sure. He gets his 70 bucks and says, okay, I've got to pay 50% tax on that. So I'm going to send 35 bucks to the government. I keep the other 35. So the company's paid, made 100 bucks in profit. And effectively, the government's collected 65% of that in tax. And that's the double taxation bit. The company pays tax, and then Ram has to pay tax at his marginal tax rate on top of that, being left with $35 out of the 100 bucks that was originally earned. Now, I there is arguments about franking credit refunds. That's a whole different thing. I'm not going to go into that now because it is already going to be complex enough. But the government took the view under Paul Keating originally, and the subsequent governments have, have supported it, that ta- taxing those, div- those that, that profit once in the cans of the company and a second time when it gets paid out as, as uh, dividends is double taxation to Ram's point. Mm. 
if I earned 100 bucks, oh, well, let's, let's go back to Ram. If Ram earned 100 bucks from working, he'd pay his 50% tax rate and he'd end up with $50 left over. Mm -hmm. So effectively, dividend income gets taxed more, more significantly, much more significantly than does earned income from working. Now, what franking credits do, just stick with my example here, is the company earns 100 bucks, And the government says, okay, well, let's assume Andrew earned that whole 100 bucks himself. The government, the, again, the company's already paid 30 bucks worth of tax. So Andrew gets 70 bucks in his hand, but the government says, well, okay, but let's assume you got the whole 100 and let's assume that 30 bucks that's already been paid in tax. Mm. So the government says, well, Ram, you're on a 50% tax rate. The 100 bucks the company earned in profit, you should pay 50 bucks worth of tax for that. Because mm -hmm. that's your tax rate. And he, But here's the thing. You've already got $30 worth of credits, i.e. franking credits, tax credits effectively, that have been paid by the company on your behalf for that profit. So you've got to pay the extra 20 bucks to bring us up to the 50% tax rate. And that's how franking credits work. Mm. They basically say, we will credit you for the tax paid by the company. Now, there's no free lunch. We're going to tax the whole $100 in your hand rather than just the 70, mm. but we're going to give you the credit for the tax that's already been paid on that profit. Yep. So Ram's, Ram's example was much more, uh, Ram's explanation was much more uh, prosaic than mine. Uh, but if you wanted some numbers just to understand why that's doubled up, that's where, the, that's where the value is. The one thing I'd add to is if you happen to be in a situation where you have no taxable income, yep. tax has been paid. You've, you've essentially paid extra tax. Yes, correct. And now you can, re, you can claim a refund mm -hmm. on tax, not that you paid because you didn't pay any, but that was paid on your behalf. Correct. That's why that's why certain sec segments of the uh, uh, community got quite upset when it was threatened when Bill Shorten threatened to sort of take it away, and you know let's not get into that debate, but yeah that's <laughs> that's that's important to mention as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the the idea is basically that the company for, for this purpose the company is treated as a pass through mechanism. You are the ultimate beneficiary of the of the profit, and the government chooses to say you know what the company is just passing both the profit and the tax through to you. You are the one who has to make good on the difference, which is why if you're on a zero tax rate, the company says, well, sorry, the government says, well, the company shouldn't have had to pay tax on your income. You're on a zero tax bracket. Therefore, yeah. you get a refund because your tax rate should have been zero. You've actually been taxed at 30%. That's not okay. Mm. And again, the rights and wrongs are different. Um, if you're taxed at 30%, you should pay 50. You've got to pay the extra rather than having to pay it on the whole amount altogether. And I hope that makes, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the last question from Anonymous says, is there any chance Ram could share his story of why he went into entrepreneurship and any mistakes that others could learn from huh. when building an online business, which now makes me think that maybe Andrew was the one who sent this question and uh, <laughs> hence, the, hence the anonymous nature of the, of the question. We've talked about this a little bit, mate, in the past. Um, I don't know that we've done the why specifically and I wonder whether, in fact, actually, no, I will. I'll take this back. You and I had a conversation on The Good Oil. I'm going to give a plug to the other podcast, partly because I do it, partly because you did it with me that time. Um, go back to The Good Oil's archive. The Good Oil with Scott Phillips, it's called. I've said before, it's called that because I had to put my name on it because it's another Good Oil podcast, not because I'm a megalomaniac narcissist. Um, so The Good Oil with Scott Phillips. Go back to the Rams article uh, uh, episode. We actually talked about all of this stuff and I really would commend it to you because it was, I, I, mate, you and I have known each other for years, but it was fascinating to kind of be able to sit down with you and ask you those questions almost across the virtual table. Um, but I won't, I won't leave it unanswered. So maybe there's a maybe there's a it doesn't need to be super short, but you know a shorter version than the one hour podcast we did yes. uh, on on why why you why you went into entrepreneurship why give up a a flourishing career at the Motley Fool uh, why why throw all that away 
recklessly. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but why why entrepreneurship, mate? And, and what lessons did you learn from mistakes you may or may not have made? Do you, do you know the God's honest truth is, um, in in a word, naivete. <laughs> That's why you. That's why you didn't not do it. But why did you do it? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I mean, it's it's. I people talk about all of the characteristics that you know, be, people who start their own business or go into business for themselves. You know, they need to have this attribute, and it's all very flattering for that person, of course. But I, I would very straight faced, very seriously say, naivety is the biggest, because hope springs eternal. So. Right. You know, back when I was thinking, I mean, I had an itch and all of that stuff and I thought, oh, this could be cool. And But I, but I thought it'd be really easy and, mm. and and I thought it wouldn't cost that much. <laughs> That's why I did it. I mean, if so I- your mistakes made. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I traveled back and said, <laughs> just so you know, be aware, <laughs> this is going to be a journey, right? And yeah, yeah. it's not unusual because I, I, think, I think the stats are that most people who- um, who are successful in business mm. fail many times before they, but they are successful. And even yeah. even those who get early success tend to it's it's not immediate, you know. And it mm. th- there is the grass is always greener. I mean, I do. Uh, what's the word for it? I I do. I'm very aware of now, especially what mm. I gave up, which was the fact that. I didn't have to think about work when I clocked off at the end of the day. <laughs> yes. You know, that's, that's a big tick. I, 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 got a, I really liked it that, um, and not that I ever wished ill on any of my employees or whatever, but it's just like wh- whatever was happening at the business <laughs> level, I, as long as you had enough to cover the employee right, right, right. salary, you know, that was kind of like, I, I'm okay. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I, I feel, I feel it was, it was definitely, I just thought, oh, here's an idea. Why isn't anyone doing it? Well, maybe I'll give it a go, but it was only because I thought it would be easy. Like how dumb is that? Like you just, so if anyone's thinking of doing it, all I would sort of say is do it right. Because, because you, you only live once, right? You don't, mm. you don't know. You try it. Mm. Just never try in a way that if, if you do fail, it wipes you out. You never want to go all So, so, I would, gosh, would I do things differently again mm. if, if I could? Um, but it is a very satisfying experience at the same time. Um, so, do you know, and th- yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's, I think I, wanna, I think that's the short answer. I want to I want to ask you again, actually, because you kind of said naivety was the reason you didn't not do it, mm. but didn't really explain why you did it. In other words, the, it, had you known, you may not have done it, but. You, that, that's, you didn't know and you did it anyway. So there was some, there was a why there somewhere. What was the, what's the Andrew Page why? Why not just stick at your job, get paid reasonably well, have a, a nice career, doing a really good job at the Motley Fool as you were at the time? What, what is the, you kind of went, thanks, but I need to do this. Yeah. What was the why? Not, not so much, like I said, the naivety was the reason you didn't realise you shouldn't have, but, but why did you? What was the, what was the driver? What, what, was the, what was the urge? What was the itch? I just thought it was a good <laughs> Arrogant this sounds. I thought it was a good idea, right? And and the early inception of the idea is very different to how it ended up. There was a gazillion pivots along the way, and and the but you had you had an idea. You thought something would work. You had to go and do it because you. Just, why isn't anyone doing this? You telling yeah. me that Hot Copper is the only online forum that Australian investors can get? Like, are you serious? No one else has done this. Like, what? Why not? Um, it just it just had to be. It had to be done, right? And you want to you want to also a truth telling. 
I thought I was going to make a squillion dollars out of it. That's that's also yeah. what I thought, right? And and uh, but that big that, market opportunity. Yeah, online businesses scale beautifully. Oh yeah, I'll do, yeah. I'll, do yeah. I'll, I'll you know get an exit for twenty million dollars and sail off into the sunset. How naive. As I say, naive, right? Like it's super naive and it's nothing like we joke about, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle be, business mate, I, at best. I, think, I mean, yeah, yeah, but I think that's right. But I think you have to be. I think entrepreneurship doesn't work without people who have that sense of, I just need to do this thing. I think, you mm. know, no, I can't say, no one in their right minds sounds very, very rude. That's <laughs> no, true. Giving up. Well, well, I mean, for most people, most people are entrepreneurs. That's the thing, right? I ask this question of my good oil guests almost every time, which is, I'm I'm a I'm a wage slave, right? I mean, I love my job. I could you know do other things, whatever else. But I don't I don't feel this burning need to go and throw it all in and do something else because I'm cautious by nature and I kind of like my job and I'm getting paid pretty well and I don't need to do any I don't need to walk away and do something new or different. I don't need to, I don't have an itch to scratch. If I do, the itch can be treated with calamine lotion. It doesn't need to be kind of you know scratched and scratched and scratched. But the entrepreneur there there is just something super innate and I I actually envy it in a lot of ways because. Kind of having the idea. I think we've all had ideas, right? I don't know that entrepreneurs have more ideas. Probably they do, actually. I, know. I think there's probably something genetic or experiential or something or just whatever about them. They do have more ideas. But I reckon everyone listening has said, I reckon our company should do this. Or why does no one do that? Yeah. And to your point, you were like, why is no one doing this thing? Mm. Well, I better do it then. Mm. You know, and, and it wasn't it wasn't a case of you weren't the first person to think of it. And you know, it wasn't it wasn't through lack of ability of other people to do it. You were just like I need to. I just need to do this thing. Mm. This, I, you know, there's money there. There's an idea there. I think it'll work. I need to go and see if this works. Mm. And I think that's that always fascinates me, mate. Because that's I've got an idea and I think it'll work. And I really wish someone do it. I really should go and do it, but I won't. Mm. And that that last bit where it's like you and I have the same journey, not the same idea, but you know, the same journey broadly. And I go out the get to the, get to the gate and go, yeah, nah. And you're like, hell yeah. <laughs> that I think that's the fascinating bit to me. Yeah, there's no right. There's no right way, you know. I, I, the, the grass is always growing. I caught up on the <laughs> yeah. weekend with some mates, and there's another friend there who um, owns a business up in Brisbane, and he's done all right out of it. But gosh, what a stressful journey it's been, right. you know. And we we're both sort of saying, "Oh, <laughs> had yeah. we known, you know." There's yeah. there is a lot. The grass, as I said, when you're when you're an employee, you always look. At, oh, I would love to be my own boss, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's why the franchise industry is so strong. Yes, you know, yes. Uh, because it is in a, a business in a box kind of mm, thing. Mm, Open the box mm. up and, and away you go. And it's incredibly I'm appealing. Yeah. I'm my own boss. And often you get the wrong motivations because my <laughs> my boss is an idiot and I just want to escape that and I yeah, think I could true. do better and there's all these kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah. And the freedom and I love the creative control and that's all true, right? Like you get all of that. But you don't get weekends. You don't get holidays. Yeah. The buck stops with you. Uh, cash flows are very, you know, significant all of a sudden. <laughs> and if, yeah. if they're not made enough through the business that comes out of your pocket, it, it, and there's, there's a huge amount of stress that, that, that goes with, mm. with all of that. So, you know, I, I just think as long as you go into it eyes wide open, as long as you go into it in, in baby steps, I think when I've looked at others who have had su- success in that space, what I find interesting is that they all – almost without exception, have made all kinds of dumb mistakes and, mm. and ideas that never went anywhere. But there's two things that separates them. The first is that they fail early. In other words, I think this is a good idea. I'm going to give it a go. Okay, mm. it's not working. I'm out. Mm. Whereas ego and hubris would 
for a lot of us go, no, nah, I'm not, no, nah, it's, I'm going to make it work. If, if I pull out now, I admit failure and how embarrassing will that be? And all my friends <laughs> yes, and family yes. will laugh at me. And it's like, no, nah, who cares? That I try, it seemed good. I tried, it's not working. I'm out, you know, and they take a loss on that loss of all the time invested, loss of all the money invested. So, um, so I, I think that's true. It, it, and, and again, that, that it is many rolls of the dice before, before it hits. So I think, I think, you, yeah, I, I, I would go into it with with that attitude. Nothing is guaranteed. Even the ideas that sound really, really, really great. <laughs> maybe it is a great idea. Not even just mm. sound great. It is great. Then you've got execution. Then you've got just a, you're a victim of circumstance and timing. And it's like, hey, this is a brilliant idea. Yes, I'm going to do it. And then we have Great Depression 2.0. You know, it's like, oof. Now, any other point in history, it may have worked brilliantly. It just happened that you just got unlucky, right? So, um, but if you, if the, if the listener is thinking about it, hell yeah. And, 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 and just the other thing to do is, is because hope does spring eternal when you're sort of crunching your numbers and how many people do I need to, customers do I need to have? And what, you know, ask the big basic questions. What do I need to get to? You will err on the side of optimism subconsciously because you like the idea. I want this yes. thing to yes, be real. Correct. Yes. What yes. would I pay? Oh, I would pay heaps yeah. for this kind of thing, <laughs> you know? Um, Which so, is both necessary, right? The market yes. fit, you need to have some sense of it, but also it can blind you to the average person. Yeah. Unless you're yeah. the average person, be careful what you assume the average person will do. And, and just, and think of it like with investing, um, you know, in shares, like think of the downside. What yeah. is it that I might get wrong? What does it look like if my assumptions are way off base? Let's halve some numbers here and just, yeah. just think it all the way through. And then, put some milestones in that sort of like, what do I need to see to continue? Um, what do I need to see if, I, if I'm going to stop? And, and pre-committing to those things can be very powerful nice. as well. But it's a journey. And, Mate, you mentioned, uh, you know, okay. No, I just, I, I just, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever try and talk anyone out of it. I'd just say, again, eyes wide open as you go into it. Makes sense. Makes sense. You mentioned a couple of phrases. You mentioned the grass is greener. Uh, you mentioned another one, which reminded me of a joke, which I'm going to share with you. Oh, please. Which is a terrible, terrible da- joke. Dad da- da joke incoming. Man goes to the doctor. He says, Doc, I've got a problem. I can't stop humming the green, green grass of home. <laughs> and the doctor says, I know what it is. You've got Tom Jones syndrome. The man says, I've never heard of it. Is that unusual? Oh, screwed it up. <laughs> like, is that common? And the doctor says, it's not unusual. There you go. Oh, I was so close to that one. Oh. <laughs> I got Edit it. That in post. I got it. Thank I you. Love it. Love it. Love it. Anyway, anyway. I uh, should never tell jokes on the podcast. Mate, <laughs> last one from Heath. It says, Hi, Scott and Andrew. My name is Heath. And feel free to use my name as you need to, which I appreciate, Heath. So I'm going to take out some bank loans in your name. I'm going to book some restaurants in your name. Uh, I'm also going to pretend uh, that uh, I'm you when, uh, when the police pull me over. So thank you for that uh, permission to do that. You've heard it on the podcast. Oh, it must be true. Um, I kid. Firstly, says Heath, I enjoy the podcast. Some of the rambling answers make it hard to keep track of what the original question <laughs> yep, was. Guilty. But you do eventually circle back and it all makes sense in the end. Or okay. I think it does, okay. says Heath. I also like Ram's quote about no dumb questions. As if I'm thinking it, then others probably are also. Okay. And he's correct. Yep. Because there have been questions floated through the pod machine. Hey, hey. That I have thought that is a question I've been pondering but I wasn't sure who to ask or where to get the answer. So thank you to you both, says Heath, for being a forum which novices like me can get answers that actually make sense and aren't spun to fit a sales pitch narrative. Can I say, we would, can you imagine being the marketing team for either of our two businesses? Nope. Oh, no, don't say that. No, don't say that. Oh, no. It's, uh, although, a pod- 
Although technically, I, I am the marketing, the marketing department, so yeah. And you should but, be very disappointed in yourself. Yes, man. I really That's should. That's all I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew, the marketer. I, I want to see one of those skits where you're wearing different hats, a bit Jimmy Reed's kind of, you know, I want to see, <laughs> I want to see Andrew, the investor. I want to see Andrew, the CEO. I want to see Andrew, the marketing team. I want to see, I want to see that conversation. Maybe, Maybe they could do something, something Jimmy Reed's-esque. There we go. Uh, yep. with, with that. We could try. Anyway, uh, he says, I have a question, which I think you two will be the perfect people to answer. In a no BS fashion, what has always intrigued me about the interest rates is the official RBA cash rate fluctuates, which is what the banks and non-bank lenders use to secure funding, then pass on to the consumer. However, if I borrowed enough to buy my house eight years ago and the bank lent me the money eight years ago, surely they they are not constantly borrowing the money every month to fund that loan. I.e., once the funds were transferred to the seller, Our transaction was completed and the bank isn't constantly transferring money to the seller each month. So why am I not locked into a rate at the time of borrowing? It was a single transaction at a single point in time. I understand having a variable rate on a credit card or a line of credit as each transaction is in itself a separate loan, so to speak. Thanks again for the informative and ranty podcasts. (laughs) And that's from Heath, whose name I will use as I see fit. Um, So... Call me, call me Heath, Ram. Okay, Heath. Uh, <laughs> let's. Uh, it's a good question. It's an excellent what is it? question. If, if I if I take out a thirty year mortgage, mm-hmm. why does my mortgage rate vary with the cost of funding? If the deal's already been done, the money's already been transferred to the seller, the transaction in theory has been completed. Surely, it's such an excellent question, and it's a it's not an easy one to answer, which gives you a bit of a hint at the complexity of the financial system. But it's I, I probably Heath, you've come- stumbled onto one of Ram's more recent hobby horses, oh. so I, I will try and keep this answer to at least oh, yeah, keep me forty-five or forty-eight minutes. Yeah, I'll see how we go. But there are certain there are certain things that you accept as true until you look at it mm. and go, oh, "That's not the case." So there's a couple of things I'm going to pick you up on there, Heath. Um, uh, it's not banks aren't borrowing from the RBA, right? In fact, that cash rate is really just the overnight rate that they charge any bank that charge banks for any funds that they leave there overnight and if there's a bit of a shortfall it's the interest rate they they charge them the vast it's more a reference rate right it's a reference rate in, in the vast majority of a bank's um, uh, capital mm. comes from deposits mm. and the rest come from the private market where they issue corporate bonds um, uh, very little and it's really just sort of making sure that everything's sort of square at the end of the day. So if there's any a little bit of excess, a little bit of a shortfall, we have these sort of reserve uh, amounts that are really interbank tokens that they sort of transfer behind the scenes. So if I'm Westpac and I owe Commonwealth Bank, I can I can settle that with some of these reserve funds. I can't spend them in the real economy. They're not, there's not notes or anything like that. But they, it is more of an accounting system within the financial system, and and. The, the reason why it's not matched at the time, it's, it's because of a thing called duration matching. Do you remember what happened to Silicon Valley Bank at the beginning of the year? So what did they do? What went so wrong there? They were lending short and they were borrowing long. Right. In other words, and that's right, jargon, fine. Jargon alert. Jargon okay, alert. Okay. 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 So they. So what they would. <laughs> so you're lending someone money for thirty years. In the US is very different. I mean, it kind of. Yes. Yeah. It's a real eye opener for Australians, right? Because you know everyone's on variable mostly, and if you are fixed, mm-hmm. you're fixed for a few years. No, in the US, you fix it for thirty damn years, and mm-hmm. and that's that's the sort of standard way it goes. But I'm borrowing money from depositors whose money is on call. They can come in any day and grab it out. 
And so Silicon Valley Bank, in fact, a very significant number of regional banks, and in fact, mm. a very significant number, in fact, all banks, let's just be, banks, let's yeah. be, let's yeah. be real, right? So they yep. take, they've got all this money that in theory you could take out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've and they've lent that again uh, to to other people who won't pay them back in in the, in the entirety for potentially right. 30, 30 years, and then they had a bit of excess, so they put it into these long dated bonds, and the bonds fell down. There was a bit of a rumor that went through the market. Enough people took their money. I was like, we don't have the cash. We don't have the cash. I mean, our balance sheet says we've got the cash, but mm-hmm. we don't really. We've got some assets here, and these assets. Uh, actually, they're carried at a certain value, but if I need to realize them in the market today, I can't. You know, I caught a friend of mine the other day saying, "Oh, my car's worth this much." It's not, dude. It's not right until you sell it. It's completely made up. And and what you will find is that forced sellers or distressed sellers never get the fair market mm-hmm. price. So it's a very easy to get into a, a bit of a rant here, but but it is a reference rate, mm-hmm. and and the way that it works, the way the the mechanism. I'm still trying to get my head around it, I'll be honest with you. But the way, <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is the way that it works is if I'm Commonwealth Bank and the central bank has said to me, any money you park with me overnight, let's say the RBA put the reference rate up to 10%, yep. right? Now, I can lend money to punters to buy houses um, yep. and they will, and I can charge them, I can get a 6% return on that. Or I can just park it in the RBA and get a 10% return. Yep. And one is risk-free, I'm going to do that. As risk-free as it gets anyway, but yes. Yeah, I'm going to do that. That's what I'm yep. going to do, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and so it, it's, it's there to make alternate decisions more viable for the bank. So when, when things are really hot and you want them to pull back on things, you'll increase the interest rate. So it's sort of like it is more and more and more compelling to take money out of the yes. real system. Circulation. Yep. Yeah. And when things are really sluggish and you want to encourage banks to, to lend, you'll offer it's like, oh, I just, I'm not getting anything with the RBA. So I guess I'll lend it out to these mm-hmm. muggins over here and, you know, let them speculate on Aussie, Aussie Ponzi property, um, which works out pretty well too. Um, <laughs> oh, and, and so, yeah, it's, 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 what am I trying to say here? It's, it's, and I'm not, I'm, I'm going to try and be a little bit um, excessive here, but really just to ram home the point is that it's all a confidence trick in the sense that it's all made up, right? And it, it's, <laughs> it, is, it is okay as long as we all collectively believe in it and we all collectively mm-hmm. believe that forever yes. I want my little amount, it's going to be there. It's, 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 a, it's a system of trust. I, I think, I think yeah. confidence game is a little bit too too uh, cynical. Yeah, confidence trick especially. Yeah, you're right. Right, but it's, but it's the other side of that same but it's the other side of that same coin. I mean, you know, confidence tricks rely on, you know, dis- dishonestly earning the confidence of, of a party. Yeah. I don't think there's probably a lack of um, awareness or, or a full understanding of the system, but generally speaking, as long as I believe that my bank is lending out my deposits you know, fairly, and as long as you believe that it's worth borrowing that money, and as long as you know the I, I the boss believes I'm doing work that I is, is worth paying for, as long as I believe the boss will accept that and pay me the money, I mean, these things are all trust is what makes the, the whole economy work. Yeah. It's what makes credit work. It's what makes transfer. It's what makes currencies work. Yeah. I mean, otherwise you'd say, well, actually, hang on, no, you're going to have to give me the three pumpkins for my sheep because yeah. that 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 you know metal token or that that piece of stick or whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. I don't believe I'm going to be able to exchange that later for those pumpkins. So yeah. I want the pumpkins. Now. Yeah, yeah, it's um, exactly what that's it, the, you know. yeah, it, it is exactly what it is, and and it, it's 
it's I you know I would actually push one thing I will push back on a little bit because mm. I agree with everything you said, but I I reckon if we went down to the main into the CBD and we mm. stopped a hundred people in the street and said, how does a bank work? I, yeah. I you know I, I no, get on, on the weekend yep. I had this conversation yep. it's just sort of like and I just I just offhand made the remark that your money's not at the bank so oh, yeah, yeah well where is it then <laughs> it's not there dude it's Correct. not Correct. I think we have this antiquated notion that there's a big vault at the bottom with money and yeah. I go in yeah. they put it there they'll lend some of it out sure but what we don't yeah. understand they're lending out far more than they've actually got there this it's and I, I'm, yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to sound like a cons- this is just facts right and I'm not necessarily yeah, saying yeah. it's a, even a bad thing right. when done judiciously it, it is actually a really great thing because it, it it frees up a lot of capital mm-hmm. it helps fund businesses it helps create jobs fractional reserve banking within reason <laughs> uh, is a is a very good thing it's a very good thing yeah. um so I, I I'm, I'm not a hardcore you know crazy person but just remember that that money isn't there. What is there is a bunch of promises, and that's cool. That's cool. But um, and 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 even with between the RBA and the banks, that that's just a series of promises. Mm-hmm. Remember when they they dug up a, a buried city in Mesopotamia a while ago? And they found all these clay tablets, mm-hmm. and it was like, wow, stories from the ancient world. I think ninety eight percent of them were financial records, <laughs> something That's like awesome. that, you know. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it was the same ten thousand years ago as it is today. We use clay tablets, and it's, you know Ahab owed yep. you know owes this much uh, uh, grains to whatever. <laughs> um, uh, it, it 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 is fine. You need a system of accounting like that for it all to work, but but don't. Don't ever feel dumb that you don't understand the modern financial system because I I would say straight and sternly as I possibly can, I don't think 98% of people do and I think I'm only on the fringe of understanding because it's hyper, Mm. hyper, hyper complex. Um, is that is that too unfair a statement? Not again. Not that there is a conspiracy of lizard people here. I just don't think that we, most of us, really grasp the mechanism that's mm-hmm. at play here. And so he's trying to write in and go, I don't really kind of get that. And it's like you're not alone, Heath. You are not alone. The fact that you've even questioned it, I, I would say, kicks you off on a very interesting journey down a very deep rabbit hole of how the hell does this all th- this all work? And it's 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 complex. It is, um, and I think it, it the it, it's <laughs> there's there's an element of it depends. On, you're right, mate. It depends on your where you are on the on the spectrum of uh, Pollyanna through to you know believing the world's against you, and there's, there's it's a long continuum. It's not that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but no. I, but I, make, I guess I'm making the point that none, none of what, everything you've just said can be described at any point of that continuum. It's all about the, the 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 risk you put on it and the expectations or whatever. Um, that the the market participants believe, you know, the the the, the same system can be used and, and rorted, as can be, you know, frankly, the last three hundred years works because we all believe this thing works. Yeah, and there's something weird about the, and this is going to sound a little bit weird as, as we finish the podcast, but. Um, you know, it, it, it's it, it's a bit Peter Pan or something. It's only true if you believe it, mm-hmm. and it stops being true if you don't believe it. Mm-hmm. But it's a bit like Schrodinger's cat. That that the idea of the system itself, um, the exact the, the exact same system. To your point about Silicon Valley Bank, the exact same mm-hmm. system stops working the second we stop believing. Mm-hmm. But if you believe it, works perfectly. Now, which is true? Well, both and neither. Mm. 
That that's that's what screws you with your mind, right? Mm. Because it's no it's no different a system if you st- stop to bl- stop believing in it. If you mm. stop trusting it, the system is still exactly the same as it was when you trusted it. Mm-hmm. And yep. if you stop trusting it, it stops working. A bank run, Commonwealth Bank is no more or less solvent the day before or the day after a bank run. Yeah. But but as soon as we lose confidence in it, it breaks the whole thing. Yeah. And that's not. And for some people listening to this saying, "Oh my God, this is horribly scary." Kind of, but that's that's the same thing. Is it scary? Or is it wonderful? Yes, both. Mm. And again, I don't want to be too you know weirdly philosophical, kind of you know, but that that's absolutely true. Trust and the stories we tell each other. We've said this before on the podcast are what makes society, civilization work. Otherwise, we are just apes yep. who are who are throwing you know feces and bananas at each other mm-hmm. because we don't like each other, we don't want to trust each other, and we don't think this is going to work. That's that's kind of how it works. Mm. And I think that's that's kind of worth worth pointing out. Mate, I want to go back to the question just really quickly for from Heath before we wrap up. Sorry, I took um, us in a very different direction. No, no, sorry. no. It's it's perfect, mate, because it, it, it explains it perfectly. I just want to use a, a different example. Um, Aussie Home Loans and Wizard Home Loans. Aussie Home Loans was John Simon's thing. Wizard from Mark Burris. They were non-bank lenders that flourished uh, in the lead-up to the GFC. And your point about borrowing long and selling short, I can't which way around it, you said it. Um, help me out here. Um, the, banks, but, the banks are borrowing, they're lending money from people who is at a call and, they're, yes. and, and they're, they're giving it to other people who are contractually obliged to give it to them over 30 years. So they're lending long right. yeah, yes. and borrowing so short. I think I got when that you, right. when you, And the thing is when you, when you have deposits, deposits are pretty sticky. Yeah, we spend some, but we save some. We don't tend to move banks very often. And so banks can kind of believe that money's there. When the GFC hit, Aussie and Wizard were sent straight to the wall. They both got acquired, but would have gone broke without it. Uh, Rams Home Loans ended up having to sell off the loan book and re-existed. It was just a weird weird time. Mm. Rams is the other one. Um, For those who remember that one, RHG was the code way back in the day. I totally remember it. Yeah. So what they'd done, so this, this 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 was that exact version on steroids. They had said, what we'll do, we'll do 30-year, probably 25-year mortgages back then. We'll do, we'll do 25-year mortgages. Andrew can borrow money for us for 25 years. And we're going to lend him a million bucks. But what happens, that mean? To, to, just to back to, Kurt, to Heath's question, sorry. The, the key thing was the bank said, we'll, 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 we'll give Andrew the million dollars to buy the house. Andrew's got to pay us back over 30 years. But he's not going to pay us back straight away. So to keep that alive, I've got to, I've got to recycle that Debt. I've got to keep that debt on my books and Andrew mm-hmm. pays it all off. Mm-hmm. So I've got to borrow that money from someone else so I can lend it to Andrew. Mm-hmm. Now, in deposits, in a different in the, a, a vanilla bank, doesn't this doesn't work, but let's assume it did. The most vanilla option would be Scott deposits a million dollars in the bank. The bank lends it to Andrew to buy his house. Andrew pays Scott back over the next 30 years and Scott eventually gets his million dollars back. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, pay, I pay Scott 3% for his deposit and I charge Correct. Andrew 6%. It's called the 363 rule. Borrow at three, lend at six on the golf course at three. By three. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's how that's how the system would work. What the banks what, what Aussie and Wizard decided to do and, and Rams was actually I'm gonna borrow on the wholesale money market. Hmm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow 30 day bonds <laughs> and then give a 30 year loan. Now that sounds stupid, except they went, well, actually, it is, but I can just recycle. I'm just, all I'm going to do is every 30 days, I'm going to give back the, the, the person I'm borrowing the money from. They get their money back plus a tiny portion of interest. It's 3% per annum, but let's call it, mm-hmm. what's that work out to, mate? Doing that's for me, no, 0.25% a month. Maybe, yep. So they're going to get, they're going to get their million dollars back plus the 0.25. Andrew's given me that money. I'm passing it to them, the 363 rule, as you just said. Yep. Andrew pays me a bit of interest. I pay the rest to the bank, you know, the, sorry, the lender, every 30 days, mm-hmm. and around and around we go. Yep. What happened was those 30-day lenders at the end of 30 days one time went, I need the whole lot back now, please. Mm-hmm. And Aussie went, but Andrew's going to pay back over 30 years. How about we just roll this debt over mm-hmm. and I'll just give you the interest like we used to do it. 
Because that worked for, worked for years and years mm -hmm. and years. Mm -hmm. And it was a great model because it was really cheap lending. You could borrow really cheaply. That's why Aussie and Wizard existed because they went, well, stuff the depositors. I'm going to get this from the wholesale money market. It's going to be really easy, really simple. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And so they did until the, 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 the lenders went, no, I want all the money back now. Yeah. And Aussie went, but Andrew can't pay me the mini dollars back now because he's got not a house. My, dude, but, not my problem. Give me my money right. back. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly what happened. And so the result was they got, well, they went to the wall because all the lenders went, I want it all back right now. Aussie and Wizard and Rams went, I don't have it. And they said, well, I'll, you're, now, you're now insolvent. It's worse, it it's worse than it's that. It's a bank run. Because it's not like you lent, you put a million dollars in the bank and then they yeah. gave me a million dollars. You yeah. put a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. They created nine hundred thousand dollars by oh, pressing a few. No, this is just fractional. I'm not. I'm. I know. I know. This is. I just. I. I. I that's the thing. It sounds crazy, right? Like, yeah. I'm not wrong. I was. It's a whole. It's a whole different rabbit hole that takes fifteen minutes to. Yeah, explain but just, why. just, just. To, that, 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 that is why I just. I yeah. want to really hammer this point because we have a thirty-year plus stretch in Australia where banks yes. are the most safest blue chip thing. They are. They are by design a very leveraged business model. Yep. And that and, works. and when thing and you know you, you are leveraged something like eight or ten to one on the mm -hmm. actual deposits that 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 you have. So it just, that's why it doesn't take much for things to really get out of kilter. And we've seen that in, in the US. We've seen it here in Australia uh, recently. We, Westpac nearly went under in the 90s. It just, it just yes, happens. Right. And so I just I make the point because I think we now have a, a, a situation where people in their 50s in their entire working career have never seen this happen. And it's just mm -hmm. unimaginable that it could. And I'm not saying it <laughs> will happen, but yeah. just I think we have, we have lost sight of, of the risks and and I, for one, feel <laughs> that that um, history repeats because we always a new generation comes in, they forget the lessons of the last generation, and we repeat mm -hmm. the same mistakes again and again and again <laughs> and again. <laughs> and uh, other than that, though, other than that, you know. And so, uh, look, so much to say on this. All I'll say, Heath, is keep. Keep reading, right? Go to the RBA's website. It's fascinating. It is they publish their financial statements. Have a look at that. Mm. Woo! It is it is wild reading. And uh, all I'll say is it'd be really nice if someone invented some kind of trustless instant settlement system that that we didn't have to rely on on the uh, the good faith of other institutions. But that's that's a whole other rabbit hole. I will say only that our anonymous questioner, second to last, did say, P.S., please give the people what they want. No more conversations about Bitcoin off air. Uh, so just a, a bit of a callback to that one. Mate, uh, we've, we've, we've probably tortured this one. Hopefully it's been useful. Hopefully it's instructive and great questions, no dumb questions, all excellent questions with excellent complicated questions. but worthwhile answers. So yeah. thank you for spending a bit of time with us on your Sunday morning. Andrew's off to get back into the ice bath. Uh, so, mate, uh, enjoy that. Good luck with that. And uh, if you're not frozen solid, I will see you next Friday. Thanks, mate. Until then, full on. <laughs> Appreciate it. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.